In this episode, I discuss the importance of having clear definitions and accurate wording when it comes to getting unstuck. I think this is a pretty important one for my fellow stuck knots and professional helpers. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken, a podcast dedicated to being a resource for you in your process of getting unstuck and seeing the change you want in your life. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. This is like part three, in my opinion, of, uh, I guess we'll call it the grammar series, maybe. And there might be a grammar policeman listening to this who's going to email me and say, actually, similes and metaphors and definitions, one of these doesn't fall into the category of grammar. I don't know. I'm going to call it the grammar series, though. And this is basically part three. We're going to talk about definitions. This is not... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit, this is not the sexiest, the hottest topic. But you're here. You were here for metaphor. You're here for simile. You're diehard. Email me and let me know you've listened to all three. I would love to know who you are. You're my people, justinlmft at gmail.com. So definitions are, uh, well, they're what a word means, right? Pretty obvious. I'm more interested, though, not in what the word, or not just in what the word means, more in I'm more interested in what the word does not mean. When it comes to definitions and the words that we use, it's not just this is what I mean. This is also what I don't mean. Words bring boundaries with them, not like healthy emotional boundaries. I mean, words provide a boundary for what we intend to say, what we mean. It it brings this like contour or the outlines, the meaning of a word, like what it does not mean, I think is just as important as what it does mean. For example, I used to work in, um, just as a little backstory here, I used to work at a an independent video store. It was the best. It was called Scott Super Video in San Jose, California. Maybe the greatest job I've ever had. Just me and my friends messing around. Although we were also hard workers. But the point is, we used to get in these discussions about philosophy and reality, religion. We used to like really talk about some interesting, I think, heavy stuff for hours and hours. And one of the more, I guess, benign ones was a friend of mine had said, his name was Jerry. He said, you know, do you realize that we're all, each of us are perfect because we're the only ones of us. Therefore, we're all perfect. And I said, that doesn't make any sense because if we're all perfect, then the meaning gets lost. Something, one of us, in a sense, has to be imperfect in order for another one of us to be perfect. Perfect only makes sense when it's compared to something that is imperfect or something that is flawed. So something must be imperfect or flawed for perfection to make sense. That's what I mean by when I say there there has to be a boundary of what something does and does not mean. Perfect doesn't make sense unless we compare it to something that is not perfect. That does not have no flaws, something that does have a flaw or more. So when we have these definitions and we have accurate meanings and we have, when we understand what things don't mean, it creates this like cognitive scaffolding. We, so it's, it's like this foundation, maybe that's, maybe that's a better word for it. And we build our concepts from our accurate definitions. So clear, clear definitions lead to clear concepts. Trauma, for example, through the polyvagal theory, through the somatic lens of, of mental health, 
trauma refers specifically to a stuck autonomic nervous system. And that clear definition of what, what we mean by trauma builds into the concept of stuck, not broken. This can bring clarity to, into how to get unstuck. This brings clarity into what's happening within us. This brings, I think, more hope and more answers, more possibility. But when we say trauma outside of our realm of psychology here, a lot of times it just sort of refers to how I responded to the event either or the lack of events in that moment or those moments or how I live day to day. And it focuses more on the thoughts in someone's head or flashbacks or maybe behaviors, but not really on their autonomic nervous system. And when we use that word, that's what we mean, right? That stuck knots and political enthusiasts, we are referring to the autonomic nervous system in particular. Although that does, of course, branch out to other areas, which I'll touch upon later on. But basically, at its core, referring to the stuck of the autonomic nervous system being in a defensive state. Having these clear definitions leads us to clearer or clearer concepts. And as long as they align with reality, they can be really helpful in our process of getting unstuck. When we share these words, when we share these concepts, this helps us to understand each other a lot faster. So when I use the word trauma and you hear it, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to spend time, although I, I guess I just did, although it was, that was more of an explanation of how the word can be used differently. But when I, basically, when you hear me use the word trauma, you know I'm talking about the autonomic nervous system. We, you understand me a lot faster than someone who's not familiar with this. And you know, this is what I think is one of the big benefits to teaching the polyvagal theory is that, or at least the way I teach it is that it's, I really focus on a, the possibility of a shared language. So when I teach this to the teachers in my school district or the administrators or the police department, the nurses, when I teach it to the after school program, when I teach the polyvagal theory and this simple language to all of these different professions, even though they oftentimes work collaboratively, giving them the polyvagal language is a shared language when it comes to behavior and mental health. It's not as important for them to understand the autonomic nervous system, although it's a nice it's a nice foundation for understanding. But it is this shared language we can use when describing a child. So rather than, you know, there's a kid in class being a butt, they can say, there's a kid in class who is really in this kind of anxious flight energy, and this is what they need. There's a lot less judgment to it. So we're sharing words, we're sharing concepts. That's a big benefit to having accurate definitions. And I think that's something that people say about this podcast a lot is that they really like how clear it is and how concise it is when I am able to articulate these ideas in the in these words that they hear from maybe Dr. Portis, but the pieces don't really come together. And if you like what I'm doing here on the podcast, I really think you're going to like Polyvagal 101. It's my webinar. It's coming out uh, or coming up on the 16th, October 16th. If you can't make it October 16th, then it'll still be available after that. You can purchase it. It's a three-hour webinar that goes over the absolute fundamentals of the polyvagal theory in a lot of depth. So three hours. If you like what I do with audio, I really think you'll like what I do. You'll like what I do with uh, video and image and uh, slideshow. It's this like the webinar is the best. It's like an interactive 
uh, kind of thing. It's really fun, but also educational and hopefully informative just for your own personal growth as well as professional growth. That's called Polyvagal 101. Go to justinlmft.com for more information. This definition stuff, though, it's really important. It, it gives us this top-down foundation for getting unstuck. If we have a cognitive understanding of what things mean and they're accurate to reality, that's probably going to be more helpful than things that are not accurate to reality, right? To me, words act as like puzzle pieces. When they have clear definitions, they kind of connect together with other words to form coherent, sen coherent sentences. It also creates this ability for us to compartmentalize. When we are able to have a concept of a part within us or a mode, like I talked about in the metaphor episode a couple episodes ago, when we have that word with a clear definition or meaning or intent, that allows us to compartmentalize, which helps us to reduce our defensive energy. It also helps us to understand that there are different things happening within us. When we can take experiences and apply words to them and create these clear definitions, then we can start to parse out the difference between sensations and emotions and behavior and thought. These are things that we all experience, but if we don't have that top-down cognitive understanding of what these things are and how they're different, then they kind of get jumbled together and we don't really have as much of a sense of awareness or even control, whether real or not, over these things. So we understand how they're different, but we also understand that they have boundaries, that sensations are different than thoughts. They do interact, absolutely. But they also have a boundary of what they are and what they are not. And these things, the sensation, emotion, behavior, and thought, again, they interact. So they may, one may follow the other. If we have clear concepts of what they are and are not, we might be able to track easier what follows what. So like an external event happens, and then I feel angry. But before that, I feel this sensation in my chest and my eyes go wide and my face went flat. And then the feeling of anger came next. And then I had thoughts of people watching me. And then an urge to prove myself as not being weak and of being strong. This is something that happened at a school site recently that I was at. So if we have clear concepts built on clear definitions of what these things are, we can track, oh, this happened and then that happened. And that can help us for the next time, maybe to reduce the intensity of it or to insert some sort of coping skill or other behavior, or we can just, as we reflect on it, maybe in therapy, we can notice like, oh, in that moment, before I did the action, I felt this thing. And then you can process that with the therapist. Maybe you could feel it all over again, but this time in a, in a safer way and have a different outcome to it. So having these clear concepts and definitions built on definitions and having clear wording is really, really important in therapy, in my opinion, and working with our clients. Because again, we're, we're creating a shared language that we both will understand. So when I hear the word shutdown from a client, I can't assume they mean freeze. And likewise, if they say freeze, I can't assume they mean shutdown. We have to be able to use the same language. I think it's more important to use whatever language the client is using, but I'll also, of course, offer up, oh, this is how I define it. This is the words I use. Does that work for you? But regardless, as long as we're using the same words, 
uh, that's that's the most important thing. So for those of us that are therapists or in the helping professions, we really need to understand that polyvagal theory is not just about behavior. So we have to agree that when we use polyvagal concepts that we're not just talking about behavior and that we're actually talking about biology at its core. So just focusing on quote-unquote trauma responses, that's not really enough. And it's not really a boundary to our discussion. So when we get in discussions about polyvagal theory, we have to realize we are talking about, ultimately, biology. Not just about these quote-unquote loosely defined trauma responses that all begin with F. So we have to have a boundary for what we're discussing to really get any, you know, productivity out of the discussion. When we're with clients and we have clear concepts and shared language, now we can get more specific in our treatment. So maybe, you know, we, we break down that event that happened. And through our processing, through our treatment, through our problem solving, and through our, you know, experiencing in the moment, we can identify for next time what might be helpful based on a shared language of what is and is not going on. So if it's just this thing happened and I got angry and that's as far as we go, you're you're pretty limited in what you can do. I mean, you can still do a lot, I suppose, but if you can break down anger into somatic sensations and cognitive thoughts or emotions and behaviors as well, if you can break that experience down into these different pieces, you can identify where maybe the client can grow for the next time or where they need growth in that session in order to do better the next time. But if it's just anger and we're not really identifying, well, what about anger? I think we're more limited. Again, it's really important to define these things. So defining emotions, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to emotions. There's a lot of gray area in what we are intending. So when a client says panic, I ask them, what do you mean by panic? When you say panic, what do you mean? What do you mean by mental breakdown? What do you mean by going crazy? These are things that clients say, and I'm like, wait, what, what, what does that mean to you? Because I have my kind of assumptions, which are fairly loose, but for you, what does that look like? When you say you're having a mental breakdown, what does that look like for you? When you say you're having a, a panic, what does that look like in, in the middle of class when you're having a panic? Words end up acting as this really great top-down foundation to safety. For us human beings who have these words in our brain, I think it's really important that our the, these words in our brain accurately reflect reality. And it, when they do, these can be a really helpful top-down foundation to feeling more safety. Because definitions provide a sense of predictability. When I say this word, This is how it will be received by the other person who shares the same words as me. That when when I'm going to express myself, this other person will understand what I'm trying to say. So it's it's a foundation for co-regulative, pieces of co-regulative safety. It's foundational for feeling understood. Maybe even foundational for receiving top-down, word-based empathy and understanding, I guess. You can still receive co-regulation on a very biological level, but when it comes to just speaking and using our words, it can we have to have accurate reflections of reality that the other person's sharing as well. Otherwise, we're, we're speaking two fundamentally different languages. If I say freeze, but you hear 
shutdown. So if I, if, when I say freeze, and I mean tense immobilization, but in your mind, you're thinking of a collapse immobilization. We fundamentally have different things in our minds, and that's not going to provide that uh, predictability that words can pr- provide. Porges, uh, he says that predictability is safety. Being able to know what's coming next, being able to know that the words I use now will mean the same thing tomorrow and be understood the same way tomorrow. You know, we, we need to know what's coming up next to feel safe. Knowing what's coming up next is a cue of safety. And I think words are foundational to understanding what is meant now and what will be meant in the future as well. I see that uh, we don't do a very good job of sharing words generally. If we had, you know, more concrete and shared definitions, I think we could get more done. I think it'd be less confusion. I also think there'd be more empathy. So, you know, imagine a couple that uh, they can't agree on the, what the word mean means. But if they could really differentiate what they mean when they use the word mean, or what they intend when they use the word mean, they could probably get more done. So if, if person A in that couple says, when I use the word mean, I'm intending you to understand that I feel scared about you when you do whatever. But really what they're expressing is, I feel scared, you know, when you're doing whatever. And the other person could, even though maybe the word mean for them implies specific behaviors or a loudness of their voice or uh, imposition of their body in someone else's space, maybe they have a behavioral meaning to the word mean. So when person A says, you know, you're being mean, person B is going to have an image in their mind of what that looks like to them. And they're not going to understand that person A is really expressing, I feel scared. And maybe that's not from that image of meanness that person B has. So if person A could say, well, I I feel, what I mean is that I feel scared. When, When I use the word mean, I want you to know that I feel scared. That's what I'm trying to express. And then person B could say, oh, okay, I get that, hopefully. So if we understand the words that we're using, we could probably get more done. I think it'd be less confusion and we probably have more empathy. So person B would be able to say, oh, I get it. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. Rather than debating on who's being mean and no, you're being mean and I'm not being mean, like that doesn't go anywhere. With clear definitions, you can get clearer understandings of what's happening within you and then you can communicate it. You can get a greater sense of control over your inner world. You can connect with other people. And this, I think, has a lot to do with a lot of the social level discussions we see. We don't have clear and agreed upon definitions for things like gender. I mean, the word gender is used in different ways. Sometimes it's used to mean a socially constructed, you know, spectrum of male to female or masculine to feminine. We'll put it that way. Maybe that makes more sense to me. Sometimes it's used to refer to biology. Sometimes people use it to refer to both at the same time. So that's really three different ways that the word can be used just right there. I've seen the word racism being used in a couple different ways. And the people who are attempting to communicate with each other are using these large words in very different ways. And they end up just yelling at each other and saying, you're this and you're that. And no, this is what this means. And no, that's what that means. But if they put the word, set the word aside and really got to the point of what they intend to mean, 
they probably ought to get a lot more done and I think actually read, reach a lot more agreement. So if you were to able to say, no, when I say gender, this is what I mean. The person could say, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. And then either maybe disagree or agree on the substance of what they intend to mean. When it comes down to it, words are really just sounds to indicate what we mean. So even if you don't have the right word, maybe you can just indicate what you mean. Like in my example of the word mean, maybe mean is not the right word. But what you're really trying to indicate is, well, this is what I intend you to know. This is, I I feel scared when you fill in the blank. Or I feel scared. When I use the word mean, I'm referring to specific behaviors, maybe. So even if the word mean isn't exactly right, this is what I want you to know. This is what I am intending for you to know. So definitions are super helpful, but really, like, what is it you're intending someone to know? What is it you want to communicate at the heart of it? What is it you want to convey? Thank you so much for listening. I know we've talked about metaphors and simile and now definitions. I'm going to end this trilogy here. Again, justinlmft at gmail.com. I would love to know who you are if you're listening to the the grammar trilogy here. I shouldn't be like poking fun at my own episodes, but I mean, come on. it's We're getting pretty nerdy here. Let's just keep it real. Like, we're getting pretty darn nerdy here, so I want to know who you are. And besides that, I do hope you've learned something new to help you in your own process of getting unstuck. Maybe just, you know, how important it is to be accurate in what you're saying and being accurate in what it, like what is it you truly intend to convey or communicate, whether to somebody else or to yourself. So if you like this episode, do me a favor, share it with somebody, please. Make sure you're subscribed or following on whatever platform you're on. Otherwise, bye. This podcast is not therapy not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.